This morning's lesson comes from Mark chapter 4. I'll be reading selected verses from 1 through 34. Listen for the word of God. Jesus began to teach beside the lake again. Such a large crowd gathered that he climbed into a boat there on the lake. He sat in the boat while the whole crowd was nearby on the shore. He said many things to them in parables. While teaching them, he said, listen to this. A farmer went out to scatter seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell on the path and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow. They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it scorched the plants and they dried up because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorny plants grew and choked the seeds and they produced nothing. Other seed fell into good soil and bore fruit. Upon growing and increasing, the seed produced in one case a yield of 30 to 1, in another case a yield of 60 to 1, and in another case a yield of 100 to 1. He said, whoever has ears to listen should pay attention. Don't you understand this parable, he said to the disciples? Then how will you understand all the parables? The farmer scatters the word. This is the meaning of the seed that fell on the path. When the word is scattered and people hear it, right away Satan comes and steals the word that was planted in them. Here's the meaning of the seed that fell on rocky ground. When people hear the word, they immediately receive it joyfully. Because they have no roots, they last for only a little while. When they experience distress or abuse because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like the seed scattered among the thorny plants. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of this life, the false appeal of wealth, and the desire for more things break in and choke the word, and it bears no fruit. The seeds scattered on good soil are those who hear the word and and embrace it. They bear fruit, in one case a yield of 30 to 1, in another case 60 to 1, and in another case 100 to 1. Then Jesus said, this is what God's kingdom is like. It's as though someone scatters seed on the ground, then sleeps and wakes night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, but the farmer doesn't know how. The earth produces crops all by itself. First the stalk, then the head, then the full head of grain. Whenever the crop is ready, the farmer goes out to cut the grain because it's harvest time. He continued, what's a good image for God's kingdom? What parable can I use to explain it? Consider a mustard seed. When scattered on the ground, it's the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. But when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all vegetable plants. It produces such large branches that the birds in the sky are able to nest in its shade. With many such parables, he continued to give them the word as much as they were able to hear. He spoke to them only in parables and explained everything to his disciples when he was alone with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So right around Christmas time, just before Christmas, my gardening friends, maybe you happen to be some of those types that start swooning over seed catalogs. Or maybe you know some folks like that. They dream about what they will plant and when. They map out schedules and organized Organized raised beds in their imaginations, as well as on sheets of graph paper, on their computers, or even on backs of envelopes. My grandfather was like that. 
He raised beautiful roses and juicy tomatoes in carefully tended beds in their backyard on Knollwood Drive, a quiet street tucked away in a lovely neighborhood in Nashville. He pruned and tended and sprayed for bugs and covered tender stems if frost was predicted. He hovered over delicate seedlings in his greenhouse, keeping them sheltered until they were strong enough to make it outside. My great-great-aunt Judy was more like the first and second sowers, the one who scatters and the one who sleeps in the two parables we just heard. Apparently, Aunt Judy, it's been said, would fling bulbs out into her backyard and plant them where they landed. Now, I'm assuming that meant she went to the trouble of digging holes and patting some soil over them, but I'm not so sure. It must have worked, though, because she did the same thing every year. And I'm pretty sure it drove my grandfather nuts. Because really, who does such a thing? While this morning's reading includes a lot of verses, some preacher colleagues make a fairly convincing case for our hearing the entire passage at one time. Don't tell them we cut a few. But they see it as one discourse, an extended teaching by Jesus, bracketed by the sea on each end. The opening of the chapter tells us that Jesus was walking by the sea. In the passage that follows ours, Jesus invites the disciples to join him in a boat and cross to the other side. So for the writer of Mark, it's important to hear these parables together because one parable alone does not give us a clear picture of the kingdom, not even close. Taken all together, an image or images start to emerge, but it's almost like looking through a blurry lens or a kaleidoscope. Jesus' parables give us glimpses of the kingdom, not a cut and dry blueprint. It's tempting to turn the parables into allegories where each character is directly tied to one thing and only that thing. It's tempting to want to solve them like a puzzle, but that flattens the parables and removes the mystery they point to. As my friend Andrew Foster Connors reminds me, understanding is not the primary value in Mark. It's discipleship. Andrew also adds that this will be challenging for Presbyterians. Well, yes, that may be true, but I'm guessing we Presbyterians are not alone. People of faith have always wanted to figure Jesus and his puzzling parables out to unlock the mystery and have the life of faith spelled out for us like a map that will lead us where we need to go if we just do what we're told and stick to the script. But the life of faith does not follow a script, does it? At least not one that I can see. I love to think of myself as good soil where the word of God and faith have grown and thrived, but that oversimplifies it, flattens it, and robs it of its richness and complexity. The sower graciously keeps casting the seeds, and yes, those seeds land in just the right spot at the perfect time, on occasion, but they also land where nothing grows, among rocks and thorns and right where a hungry bird can snatch them up. If God is the sower, does that mean that God flunks the gardening test? I don't believe so. Is it the soil's fault if she is too rocky or thorny for faith to thrive and grow? Does that mean she is lost forever with no hope of ever receiving a seed again? Goodness, I hope not. Because there have been times when my heart has been as hard and dry as cracked earth. 
My very being has been thornier than the fiercest rosebush. And by the grace of God, somehow the sower has passed my way again and given me another chance for the seed to take root. I think the sower can also be seen as the disciples, as the church called to scatter the good news, maybe even a bit recklessly like Aunt Judy with abandon. Our work may not always take root, but like the sower in the later parable, when it does, we can't take all of the credit. As Paul tells the church at Corinth, I planted another watered, but God made it grow. And even when the seed takes root, Jesus tells us that it does not necessarily grow into the beautiful rose we expect or the majestic tree we envision. If it looks anything like the kingdom Jesus describes, it may very well wind up as a shrub, a scraggly, invasive mustard plant. So the kingdom of God is likened to an unwelcome plant rather than a mighty cedar. It is not grand by anyone's standards, especially in comparison to the kingdom of Caesar. Mark is written around the year 70 CE when the second temple is destroyed. Rome is building its empire and spreading its unholy brand of peace through shows of strength and feats of power and oppression. Mark's community faces persecution and the reality that the promised return of Christ may not happen as quickly as they had hoped. They are well acquainted with the risk that comes with receiving and spreading God's word. In the words of Jesus, they are being assured that the trials they face are not signs of the promises failing. The kingdom is not Mary Mary quite contrary's garden of pretty things all in a row. Thorns are real, as are any number of factors that can snatch hope and faith away in an instant These factors can also choke fledgling faith and erode a deeper faith slowly and steadily over time. Mark's community knows this, as do many of us and many of our neighbors today. Like other images in Jesus' parables, the thorns and the birds evoke more than one thing. Thorns could take the shape of of systemic racism, entrenched poverty, famine, the lure of a quick fix or despair. Shallow soil is found in communities hemorrhaging jobs and opportunities. Scorched earth is left behind after endless years of conflict, natural disaster, and violence. And in families decimated by addiction and mental illness. And yet, the word of God finds a way. Faith grows, as does the church. It just may not look like what we expect it to. On July 7th, 2007, J.D. and Nikki Carabin opened their garage to skaters on what would become the first Friday night skate. J.D. started small, going out to area skate parks with a cooler of water and a love for these kids no one else seemed to want. J.D. and his wife Nikki began to invite skaters on Friday nights to skate in their garage. Soon close to 20 came each Friday night. Many of these kids would show up right after school and stay until midnight. No one was calling to see where their kids were. No one was checking to see if they had eaten. So J.D. and Nikki began to serve the kids dinner and share the word. J.D. confessed, my wife and I sold anything we had of value to fund the ministry. Eventually, we sold our home as well. Over the next few years, a dozen kids stayed with the couple to to escape substance physical, and emotional abuse. 
And meanwhile, hundreds of skaters professed a growing faith in Christ. And a community of faith known as Serious Juju was begun. Tom, a lawyer, has been a member of First Presbyterian Church since the mid-1980s. In Rotary, Tom first heard about Juju and decided to take them some meals. He then asked his church to do the same. After a while, Juju couldn't pay the rent, so the church helped. Later, Juju still couldn't pay their rent and shuttered their doors. On that very day, the skate ministry received a grant from the Presbyterian Church USA, our denomination, for being a bright new worshiping community. Juju resurrected. Paying off their debt and leaving the building behind, serious Juju became mobile, taking to the streets with portable ramps they set up all over town. Today, Juju meets in an urban warehouse. They arrive on skateboards from the surrounding mixed and low-income neighborhood, get rides from neighboring towns. Some even skate in from 13 miles away. These kids come, rain, shine, or freezing cold, which in Montana is most of the time. Working single moms drop off their kids and express gratitude for a place they know they will be safe and fed. On a recent summer night, a skater thanked our volunteers, they said, for the meal and confessed that this would be his only meal of the weekend. Ever since, at the end of skate night, they pass out 30 to 40 bags of food to last the weekend. Two brothers called home at 9 p.m. to get picked up. Their parents stated, no, we're not coming to get you. Find your own way home. Often, they say, they don't know where the kids are going, but they aren't going home. Tom, that attorney, drove Evan home at one point to pick up things he needed for the weekend. His parents were getting high, and Evan needed to get home and grab a few things before crashing on a friend's couch. Evan's home is two single-wide trailers pushed together with a tarp in between. Evan shared that it can be difficult to sleep with the open wall, especially when it stays below freezing. Today, Evan's mom threatens to kick him out. My family stinks, to put a more churchy word in it, he confesses. Juju is my family. Kelly met J.D. when she was 12 and high. 12 and high. She started coming to skate and get away from the constant influx of strangers and drugs at home with a brother in prison, a mother constantly high, a stepfather taking too much interest in her, and plans for the family to move out of state. Kelly got out. Leaving home at 14, she knew she had a place to go. Juju. Back when it looked like Juju was dead and buried, Kelly believed she led them, unbelievers full of doubt. Today she is emancipated, and each Friday this teenager watches the warehouse like a mama bear, a bold, courageous, no-nonsense leader. Last August, Juju celebrated the sacrament of baptism for 17 people. Ninety-five witnesses stood on the banks of the Flathead River as each one took the cross and were lowered into the 59-degree water as a sign of their life, death, and resurrection as a new creation in Christ. For hundreds of youth, Juju is the only church they will ever enter. 
Juju's lawyer and champion, Tom, confessed, Juju has changed me. I used to prosecute kids like these all the time. Now they've changed my life. Friends, the seeds we scatter may not grow in the way we expect. Some of them might not take root at all. But if the sower is our guide, that does not mean we stop scattering seeds. We don't hoard them and hold them for special occasions. In fact, we're called to scatter more because perhaps in ways we've not tried before and in places and among people we may not have considered being worth the effort. And the faith that springs up may surprise us and even change us. Jesus is not patting folks on the back or on the head for being good soil. He is encouraging his disciples to risk scattering even when what they offer does not take root exactly as they hoped. Jesus does not promise a rose garden or a bed of roses to cover all of the cliches. Jesus knows thorns. Or he soon will. He will soon know what it is to struggle in another garden, to pray that the path of devotion go a different way. He will soon know what it is to be left alone, exposed to the cruel whims of the empire, bereft of the very ones he is lovingly called to follow him. And yet he continues to call and heal, to save and nurture, to love and challenge and teach and invite, knowing that the kingdom of God is not far away, but has come near, come here in him. In him, that kingdom is still growing in its persistent, invasive, holy, and unexpected way, offering shelter to skateboarders and attorneys, birds of the air and confused disciples too. The kingdom of God is not just one thing, it is many things and more, with room in its branches for each and every one of us, God's beloved children all. Thanks be to God. Amen.